decoded. Welcome to Founder Tech Decoded Series 2, where we focus on investors in the Founder Tech space that are radically reimagining how the venture and investment landscape can work, could work. Um, and what it might look like if new approaches, new models were applied to it. Investors who, on the other side of the uh, equation to founders, have looked at the market and realized there's the inefficiencies and biases and problems that could be course corrected using new tools and approaches. I'm delighted to start this series with Jonathan Sun from Horizon. Um, Jonathan and I met a few months ago, maybe five, six months ago, and he was one of the first people or first investors that I spoke to that was thinking in this way and building his fund in this way. Um, and so, Jonathan, it's a real, real pleasure to have you on the podcast and to kick off this conversation with you. Thanks for having me, man. And yeah, it was great meeting you a few months ago and happy to see what you're working on with Blackbox. Thanks very much. Um, where we always start with this um, is, is with source code, like the source code and kind of bugs. So what we, what we simply mean by that is when you decided to uh, launch Horizon, when you were thinking about it, what were you looking at in terms of kind of the basic assumptions, dynamics in the space, in, in, in the venture space and, and the funding space that made you think, hold on, there's, there's problems there, there's bugs there, I, I, I need to... I, and I'm the person to kind of address those problems in, in a unique way. So maybe just a little bit of your journey, um, how you kind of got to that point before we dive into how you started to kind of engineer a new solution. So what, what made you perceive the, perceive the problem and the opportunity? Yeah, um, well, I think um, I became really, really uh, passionate and interested about alternative finance about two years ago. Uh, and it all actually kicked off when I was walking to Waitrose and I was listening to a podcast by, uh, it was uh, Manoush Zamarodi and she's a Shah and they were talking about uh, the alternative economy. And that's kind of what got me really interested in, you know, zebra models of, you know, investing and things like that, right? And just the whole idea about how pure equity does not solve, does not fund the majority of entrepreneurs um, and especially, you know, founders that are not trying to build like a blitz scale business. And so I, what I yeah. really wanted to do was, uh, create like a, a, see if it was possible to create a brand new capital model that, um, what incentives were aligned and that you didn't have to just fund, um, you know, blitz scale businesses and also be able to fund businesses at the idea stage earlier than pre-seed, knowing that Europe is a very, um, conservative region when it comes to, uh, to, to investing. So did massive Google binges, uh, you know, came across, you know, various different funds such as, um, you know, tiny seed and comp fund. And eventually after page five or six, I ended up on this, on Cheezer's capital, who created the convertible income share agreement. I thought that model was a genius because you pair an income share agreement to the founder, you pair it with a safe ASA into the company, you have the best of both worlds, downside and upside protection. And, uh, you can use this model to be a friends and family round investor. I said, genius, let's make it work in the UK. So I was really lucky that, you know, when I shout out Will Stringer via Twitter and he got back to me and he said, all right, you know, hey, here's all our material. Uh, we can help you out and go make it happen in the UK. And that's like kind of like our TOD of how we got started. 
Okay, so we'll return to that point in a minute. Can you just backtrack? I'm, I'm assuming we'll have some sophisticated investors listening to us who know exactly what you just said. Can you explain both of those instruments um, that are so important to what you're doing? Can you, in, in, in pretty much layman's terms and why they're innovative uh, would be really, really useful. Yeah, so um, what we are doing is we are pairing an income share agreement with an advanced subscription agreement. So in England, it's actually called a future earnings agreement because that's how it's regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. What this means is we, if a founder is earning above a certain amount of money via his or her personal income, then we take a percentage of that um, personal income until he or she either pays off one and a half times in five years or two times in 10 years. Then the ASA in the company for equity only activates when a founder successfully raises 700,000 pounds or more in his or her um, startup. And so both instruments do not activate at the same time, um, right. but they are both. But uh, when we give a founder a term sheet, they sign both uh, on PandaDoc, if it makes sense. It, it, it does. Um, again, let's talk about the advanced subscription agreement, which I think is one of the um, the really key innovations in, in, in recent years. I know it came over from the States um, and I know uh, people like Seed Legals, you know, use them heavily in very, very kind of agile ways. But do you want to explain again why that why that is so innovative in terms of kind of unblocking deal flow that generally, you know, would get stuck in due diligence trying to work out value and kind of all those things are kind of deferring that so that value is more known. But it'd be great to hear your interpretation of why that instrument's really important. Yeah, I think well, the ASA, to my knowledge, uh, was invented about a few years ago by Seed Legals. And so uh, Seed Legals wanted to find a way to bring the YC safe over to the United Kingdom. And the, this and this YC safe makes getting equity in a company like so much easier, right? You you just you, you upload it on PandaDoc, they sign it, bam, you know, they've got, uh, you know, they got secured access to future equity in future rounds, right? And uh, and prior to that, you know, you'd have to spend tons of money on lawyers for, you know, bespoke agreements, you know, get equity. And to be honest, it's the biggest challenge, you know, for me investing in the EU right now is, you know, in the EU, they don't really have, you know, a whole lot of, you know, set templates for, you know, to be able to easily get equity other than, you know, zigzag ways to get around convertible loans and, you know, kiss notes and things like that. So um, so I think having this ASA, you know, and big shout to, to Seed Legal, so, you know, making everyone's lives way easier. But um, I definitely I definitely think that, you know, this this note has has made startup investing in the UK, you know, that much easier. Yeah, I mean, I heard about the, uh, the ASAs, I think on a Seed Legos demo last year and when and they showed a graphic where they were charting, you know, um, from point of contact with investor to deals closing and they were seeing things closing, you know, uh, someone having lunch with someone at midday and closing the deal, you know, the seed investment by 8 p.m., and I think that that that's a real um, it's it's really critical to this space, this idea of founder tech that, that, that you're increasing the agility and the transparency and you're leveling out the asymmetry. It's, it seems like they I mean, I haven't ever got, thought of it as a kind of an equation, but it, it, those principles seem to be really important. People going none, none of the opposite of those, you know, being opaque and things taking a long time and there being this kind of disparity and asymmetry between the founder and investor don't serve anyone anymore. What, what, what do you think of that, those principles? I, I mean, are you, are you an advocate for that? The, the, the more we can increase those things, the better it becomes? 
I think for sure. And, you know, funny enough, I was just having a conversation with a, with a fellow industry member about it today um, over lunch. But I do think that um, something that Europe struggles a little bit with sometimes is a zero-sum mentality towards, uh, I think, you know, helping, you know, fellow industry members. And I think that zero-sum mentalities don't really help anybody. You know, this whole idea of, you know, I'm going to hoard all the secrets and the knowledge and even, you know, the LPs on our end. And I think that, you know, a truly collaborative ecosystem is not zero-sum, where this whole idea that everybody wins when everybody shares knowledge and everybody's not as opaque, but instead everybody agrees to, you know, share what they have so that everybody wins. And if you think of it more of a long term, this is an example of why uh, ecosystems such as the Bay Area is the best startup ecosystem in the world is because people actively encourage knowledge sharing. But to me, it's not necessarily as a cultural thing as much as it is an awareness thing. And so I think that um, part of what I'm really hoping to do on the side, you know, in the UK as a fellow, you know, fund manager and as a fellow um, player in this ecosystems, I really want to encourage and foster this transparent knowledge sharing. And I want to build out this culture or at least play a major role in building out this culture where like we all share valuable information with each other to make each other's lives easier and to uh, be able to help grow the founder ecosystem and investor ecosystem uh, for the betterment of the whole city. Yeah. Um, I was going to say amen to that, but I've never said that in my life, but uh, I just did say it. Um, well, one of the things that um, has come up again and again is the idea of uh, an investor uh, funnel, typical investor funnel, is starting not to work, which is creating all these opportunities. So if you're in a traditional kind of um, early stage fund, even if you're very innovative, what you're seeing is a diminishment of um, low-hanging kind of B2B, SaaS, e-commerce um, opportunities that can clearly be presented in a pitch deck, you know, so that you can clearly kind of, pick, you know, cut your cut your funnel in half, evaluate the other half, you know, get it, kick it down to like 40 for, you know, um, for a partner vote, get that down to 20, invest in 10, that those ratios are becoming harder because the really valuable low-hanging fruit has been was being being claimed and actually there's another tier of opportunities that are much more nuanced emergent complex and there's whole, all these tiers of sort of pockets of value that new types of founders are kind of starting in a much more kind of um calibrated way so they're, they're really immersed in the problem and trying to unlock that and from that kind of you know big markets can emerge do you have you seen that do you agree with that and and, and does that inform let's, let's sort of start to move into kind of your your deal flow um, your 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 kind of you know uh, deal flow bias or focus. Have you seen that, and 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 has that affected the way that you're looking at deals? I believe I wrote an article about this actually a while back on Substack called High Pain Points That Were Not Straightforward, and I think that that's what I primarily look for when it comes to uh you know at a foundational level when it comes to looking at idea stage founders is are you solving a pain point? that is very, very painful and not insanely straightforward. And I think that correlates a lot with, you know, what you were talking about. Yeah. You know, those like, you know, finding, you know, those second and third degree problems, because I think that, um, that, you know, the real, I think that in the future, you know, some of the most successful SaaS companies uh, and physical product companies are going to be, are going to come from um, really, really smart founders that are sharp at finding, you know, five out of five pain points that are not immediately, you know, visible to the eye that can only be, um, discovered either through lots of uh, industry experience through a customer lens or industry experience through uh, an operator lens. And, um, and I think this, this can be showed actually through one of the companies that we invested in, which was called Gigbridge. And so what they did is they 
the guy who started it, he um, he noticed a problem, and the problem was that a lot of construction companies were struggling to find and retain talent because uh, various reasons due to Brexit and COVID, uh, a lot of people were leaving construction industry, and so he decided that he was going to help construction companies, uh, you know, get the people that they needed through freelancing, right? So. Like even if I wasn't like a full time, you know, construction worker, if I was buff, knew how to use my hands, and you know, needed a little bit of cash, you know, go on a date on a Sunday night, you know, I could, um, <laughs> I could, you know, work on a railway track for five hours on between Saturday eight to one, you know, yeah. and um, and I think that um, and I thought that was a really really good way, uh, a good example of you know showcasing how um how a founder could find a very high pain point that's not straightforward and you know help a lot of customers along that way, and so. Today, I think, you know, they're doing a decent amount of revenue, you know, we're incredibly uh, proud of them and you're excited to, you know, continue to go with them on this journey and help them take them to the next level. I'd, I'd, let's definitely grab that article. Um, if you can ping that to me, we'll put that in the, in the show. because so that's exactly what I was talking about. Um, li- li- literally that. I was actually with a founder last night who's, who's now a friend of mine who, who's, who's very similar um, and he's losing his hearing. So he's had to develop an IoT device that you stick like a smoke alarm in, in, in social spaces that links to an app. So you can see the acoustic kind of sonic properties of a venue before you go in it. Um, and so if you want a social sort of buzzy place, you go in there. And if you want a quiet place, it's there. You know, so he and he and his motivation was, look, I'm, there's no way I'm not going out. There's no way I'm going to kind of associate myself with hearing loss. I'm going to have to invent a whole new way of perceiving sound, a way we design sound in cities. And it's and it's taken him a long time. But now that he's literally on the cusp of implementing it, hopefully with a, a large hotel group. And you can see that once it opens up, it becomes it, the category can be massive. But it's taken he's because he had to keep with the problem because it's so personal to him. And I don't believe everything has to be completely personal, but it's more like this like you talk about this personalized pain point this thing where you've got an unfair advantage and I, I think it's interesting how we don't have a language or a name for that kind of founder yet um because i i i really believe that those are where where the most interesting opportunities um may lay in the future um so can you talk about how um you saw still flow and then how you evaluate deal flow and just talk us through the you know you know and then how you fund the ones that you want to back can you just talk about that kind of like abc yeah, I think uh, the way we source deal flow is through a multi-pronged uh, process, and um, and we've definitely you know built a lot of you know our foundational you know deal flow channels through relationship building. So um, so first things I think you know uh, before working on this VC, you know I used to just kind of like be a sort of freelance you know head of community. And so I used to go around to various uh, startup communities and help host events. Um, and that's how uh, I was able to get an initial source of you know, deal flow, founder connectivity. And then later on, I found out that a lot of universities had their own accelerator spin outs like LSE, you know, Cranfield, yeah. um, City University. And so I started partnering up with a lot of them. Uh, then also started, you know, hitting up every single demo day that I could in the beginning just to like build relationships with the people that ran those. And obviously working on relationships, you know, my fellow, you know, investors, you know, in the field, emerging managers, VC employees and stuff. And pretty much they'll just feed me anything they know that's way too early for them um, because they say that so much. That's almost become like a running punchline joke. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, and that's how we've been getting a decent amount of deal flow. Um, and the crazy thing is, I think like we're not even operating at our true marketing capabilities, right? Because of um, because of FCA rules, you know, we right. uh, we have to be careful about you know solicitation things, so we can't publicly market market like that. And so we're almost just like operating off just like pure relationships, and you know, just like telling people by word of mouth. We 
can only you know do basic things like you know write articles and uh, shoot videos and things like that off of a marketing standpoint not really you know go out there and evangelize it to our maximum capabilities now in terms of um evaluation i think like um it's interesting because i think that on an evaluation standpoint i think um I wouldn't say we have an extremely uh, systematic way that we do it. It's not like we put in uh, an air table chart and say, okay, you know, we're going to score everything. But what we do is uh, me and three of our partners, we've all had founder and operator experience. And so what we do is we try to view everything through our own lens and say, okay, does, does this technology make sense, right? Everyone except me on our team has been a CTO and stuff. And so they can, they can they can break apart you know a business idea and be like this this tech makes sense this tech does not make sense this tech is gonna solve a problem this tech is not gonna solve a problem right yeah um and just a lot of things like that you know and uh they really help counterbalance you know my point of view because i think that uh you know my point of view comes from a little bit more of a community community standpoint and like um that's kind of like what i've been used to uh with some operator experience but like they're pure tech and so it's just it's just, it's just been fascinating, you know, to be able to analyze deals, go into, go into, you know, different interviews with them and, you know, watching them just, you know, viscerate, you know, founder after founder after founder, be like, <laughs> you know, X plus Y and Z don't line, don't match and line up, you know, go back to the drawing board type of thing. So it's quite entertaining. What do your co-founders, that's very interesting that you've got this sort of technical co-founders, you know, what do they think of, um, which is another element and common aspect to this of like no code, low code making, you know, that initial MVP so easy if you are competent that it kind of actually creates a problem because it's hard to differentiate you know it used to be hard to build even that level of product or prototype you know but now it's not and smart in fact you want smart founders to be using those tools that's actually now an indicator that they're smart how do you address that from or how do your co-founders address that from a technical point of view when you've got a founder in the room that you're looking at well, it's not necessarily so much about uh, what has been built already, because when you're idea when you're evaluating an idea stage business, you have to evaluate on what it could be rather than you know what it is. Um, and so, we love no code, by the way, as a team. Uh, in fact, not enough people come to us and say right. that we're building off of no code. You know, too many people are trying to go off you know the stubborn you know tried and true tested way of I want 60k for a dev to build my app, and we just kind of look at them like, yo, heard of Glidats? Heard of Adalo? Right. You get this built in like, you know, right. time to quit in, you know, two weeks, mate, you know, that type of thing. And so, and we're, and we're actively pushing our portfolios, you know, go down that direction as well. Um, and I think, yeah, it will in, in definitely, you know, force founders to, you know, get um, more creative and push a little bit harder for that technological advantage. And I think it's going to be great, a great thing for the overall startup ecosystem, right? Because now if everybody can create an app, then that means to truly create something innovative, then some, some, something you know you're gonna have to work down much harder you know stand out you know either you know you it, it, whether it could be through an algorithm whether it could be ai whether it could be through using blockchain for you know uh for for a legitimate purpose not the run-of-the-mill founder that's like all right here's here's a blockchain and that's why it's special and i'm like that's a good that's like saying my car is an engine and that's why it's special um so um so I or think AI, I'm, or just saying this has AI, just because why yeah, not? You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I'm I'm quite excited to see you know where the startup ecosystem will head. But I think more founders need to internalize the fact that the first thing that they should do is you know mess around with no code rather than ask for 100k for a legit dev. That's so so interesting to hear. Um, encouraging to hear. Um, do you think? 
that that informs just going back to something you said earlier, you know, where you hear, oh, it's too early, which is like, you know, the go-to phrase for a sort of, you know, polite pass. Um, uh, do what do you, do you think what's informing that too early is still a bias towards products and revenue and therefore, you know, models that can't adapt to, to very early stage opportunities? Or, or do you think something else is informing that, that phrase too early or, or is it an amalgam of, of lots of things? Um, well, I think too early is kind of a farce because if you're investing in an early stage startup and you're like, oh, this is too early. I mean, what do you want? You want revenue? By the time you get, they make revenue, they don't want your money. I mean, you right. can't, there's this weird thing that people talk about too early and it's because like, I think a lot of investors in Europe want their cake and eat it too. And uh, what I mean by want their cake and eat it too is they want all the returns of early stage startup investing and none of the risk. But that doesn't happen. If you're going to engage in early stage startup investing, you should go all the way in rather than, you know, quote unquote, half one shoe in and one shoe out. And this whole concept of, you know, too early was invented by a bunch of investors that have one shoe in and one shoe out. Um, smart, smart investors know how global trends go. And global trends say that if it's a great idea and if it's a great uh, founder, then and if they've proven that, you know, people want their hypothetical product or service, you know, through, you know, a very long, lengthy, you know, list of, you know, LOIs, phone numbers, you know, email pre-orders, you know, amount of times, you know, clicked on a fake payment button, then I think that's very, very investable. And, um, and to, to anybody that, you know, uses, you know, random excuses to, you know, question, you know, whether stuff is too early, uh, I would question, you know, why are they doing this? Why are they doing early stage startup investing? You should, Go back to you should go back to Trader Trader two one two and you know go put money in 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 what's it called like flipping ISAs and all sorts yeah. of you know or, or or property real estate and you know and just and and do risk averse things and what and all that type of stuff. I guess random thought it'd be like being in the athlete scouting business you know when you at, at very early age you know when when athletes you know early teens and saying oh well they haven't played for the first team yet. And be like, why are you why are you sitting on the start the 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 sidelines watching you know thirteen year old footballers? Of course they haven't, you know what I mean. But you should have the skill to be able to see the patterns and the behaviour and the physicality. To be able, that's your job is to back it. It's kind of what you're saying, right? It's like if that's your job, that's your job. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't say, well, like, he hasn't scored ten goals yet for the first team. Well, he's thirteen, he's fourteen. You know, your job's to spot. It's really what we're saying when it boils down to it, right? It's not that it's not that complicated, right? Pretty much. But I also think of it as well, like, um, like I'm big into basketball, and so something that interests me is you know basketball scouting, and yeah, I think a lot of you know smart teams, you know, the way they've been able to build championship teams is like sometimes they'll 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 go off two things, right? Not even like finished product, they'll go off like body potential and intangibles. So it's like a okay, body potential means do you have a big wingspan? Are you athletic? Right. Can you jump out the can you can you jump out the window? And then intangibles, right? Maybe you may be raw right now, but can you do you have the mindset to be able to work hard, be mentally tough, and 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 push yourself to be great? You know, uh, four or five years from now, right? Somebody like you know this 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 guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo is a great example of that, and he led you know his team to a championship. You know, I think uh, last year or something like that, right? And so. Yeah, and so I, I, I view that in the same way at uh, length of, you know, scouting founders, you know, scout founders that, that have the potential to do great things, not, you know, Rick sold seven businesses and now his current business is making 60,000 pounds a year. You know yeah. what? He, he's, he's good enough for a 5,000 pound measly check for me, you know. <laughs> Come on, buddy. <laughs> um, all right. 
last couple of questions before we kind of get to you know where, where you're at what's what's useful to kind of communicate in terms of like what you know for horizon um would do you use pitch decks in your process and other tools or have you invented other new tools as well as the financial instruments are you are you are you using any other platforms or you know any anything to kind of communicate these early stage founder intangibles i mean like obviously you know what we're doing like with black box is is is, is just one of those tools are, are have you found anything that has worked consistently to look at those intangibles that t- might take the place of a pitch tech to the extent where you might go actually we, we won't look at pitch tech again or we'll only look at these slides to be honest i think we're still uh figuring our way around it you know and we feel that currently honestly the way we try to look at founder intangibles is you know through how we go about our interviews uh right and i think that we have a unique style of doing interviews like uh we're uh, collectively as people we're fairly laid back and so like and i feel like not laid back in the sense of a work ethic like we've got like pretty punchy work ethics but like in terms of like our demeanor and i think like having a laid back demeanor um enables founders to let their guard down and you know really really um showcase and be themselves right it's like i feel like if you behave in a real stuffy way in an interview you know they'll they'll try to show their best selves back which you most people understand that your best self facade really doesn't mean a whole lot what's a lot more important is you who you are uh, deep down your core right and so i think we try to get that energy out of founders as much as we can uh but I think in terms of, you know, methodology, I think we're still figuring that out. We used to have this enormous application form um, and founders really disliked it and it crashed all the time. So like we one of the changes that we made in the new year is like we cut out application form by 85 percent um, and, and 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 it just increased our deal flow that much more. And so um, and so this is a process that we're still figuring out. And so, um, you know, hey, by the time we raise our fund too, you know, you never know. We uh, we, we we may hit you up. Yeah, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to say that, but I was, I'm just interested in, like, you know, this. I think it's going to be one of the questions I ask him is, is how do you measure these intangibles? Like, what, what you're doing, and I think obviously meeting them and the way you're interviewing them is absolutely central to that. Um, just, just as we start to wrap up, so you've invested in five um, uh, founders. Uh, what does the next five look like for you? What, what, what are you, what are you really on the hunt for? Is are there kind of trends or patterns or sectors um what you know geographically give me give us what the next five ideally look like um for you or the next 10 whatever 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 is meaningful for you i definitely want at least one in web3 and maybe one in food tech so i think we've invested in mostly technology so far but i don't know i've always thought it'd be cool to have a coffee brand in our portfolio uh just like our um our part, our sister company in the U.S. does, and then yeah, something in Web three because I feel like, but it's got to be like a good kind of Web three. It's not gonna be like, all right, this this guy's just making a a DAO social network, and you know they gotta they gotta invest in their fish tokens or whatever. Of course, yeah. Uh, but 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 so what what so what can you keep going? So there's there's a couple there. I mean, I'm really interested to know what kind of what's you know when you're meeting with your co-founders, what you're discussing. It'd be really interesting without giving any secrets away, of course. One of our teammates loves AR and VR a lot. Another one of our teammates likes games, but games is always a challenging space to uh, to look at. Um, I like uh, what else? Micro SaaS is is really cool. I like uh, if you're familiar with Micro SaaS. Yep. Um, and so actually the community that we all met in, which is called Indie London, and Indie London is full of people that are building micro SaaS businesses. They're right. stable, you know, stable, 
stable growing, you know, uh, app, web apps that, you know, they've all built themselves. So they're kind of like solopreneurs to an extent. And they're just sitting there raking revenue month after month after month, you know, start off with, you know, 3K a month and 5K a month, 7K a month. Uh, the most successful out of that uh, community, I believe, is called V.io. Have you ever heard of them? I know doing like eight, they did eight figures before raking in this massive bag from Sequoia. And so that's probably the biggest success story out of that community. And do you um, work with any sort of the, one of the things that's come up is the rise of solo capitalists? You know, do you do you are you engaging with any of those sort of people who have a real you know sector point of view, deep sector point of view, and huge funds? Are you looking, you know, per, personal wealth? Are you know, are you looking to um, kind of align with any of those people? You know, like individuals that are acting like funds. Have, have any of them kind of been attracted to what you're doing, or have you kind of, have they crossed your radar yet? They they've just come up a few times as as, as starting to emerge. I'm working on a couple of communities for that. So I've met quite a few. I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, we, uh, we, we've chatted with Andy Davis a few times if you're familiar with him and he's a solar yeah. GP working on, uh, working on a fund for black founders. And, um, he's found himself a very, very nice niche because, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, there's just like black founders, like still get less than 1% of all the VC funding in the UK today. And, uh, and he's kind of like, to me, at least he's the de facto number one, like, black angel investor and so like anybody that and and you know i do know quite a few black founders so like anybody that like and the first guy they think of to reach out to when they're like for looking for angel investing or connections is him so right. bless his heart i mean his his, his inbox is like his, his inbox reminds me of a flooded swimming pool but um <laughs> There's a black black valley is also a really good community i think they work with andy it's run by a guy called lecky he's really smart they they've got they doing some really cool things like that um yeah um but look we're, we're sort of on wrap-up time it's been absolutely fascinating um is there anything that you'd like to kind of get like leave in terms of horizon that that, that you know that you just kind of want to put on the table out there that I mean, obviously i'll put the url and any of the socials but is there anything else that that that's, that you would that you would like people to kind of you know you know come to you with xyz you know like anything at all yeah uh i think if you're a founder and an idea stage founder looking for funding i mean please reach out to us for sure uh we are we're open for business and um and if in terms of you know uh talking about our biggest challenges at the moment is uh we are we are looking for lps so that's yeah that's uh, that's so. Uh, uh, if anybody can help on that end, then you know we're, we're very appreciative. And just uh, clarify, what's the range that you like to invest in? What's your sweet spot? Our ticket sizes are ten to thirty thousand pounds. Okay, so all right, that's really good to know. Okay, so 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 really early, like really like where you're adding most value value with this model is at that range. Um, Absolutely, that's, yeah. That's so that's really really good to know. Um, okay, um, we'll close with APIs. Uh, we kind of covered some of this. I definitely want to put the link to the um, the post that you wrote um, in the show notes. But are, are there any other people, podcasts, books, which are your go-tos that are kind of informing this conversation that we can share with people? Uh, it's good that you mentioned that because uh, I was prepping for it earlier. But um, I like – so I just finished a podcast uh, with Capital Allocators but, uh and uh, I was listening to an episode with Chris Dovos, who's uh, who's an LP investor, and it was it was kind of cool to you know hear his perspective on you know just what he thought uh, as one of the biggest you know uh, LPs and funds uh, in the in in the US and the world, 
um, just, just to see his perspective and you know what he wants to see out of an emerging fund manager and just to hear that perspective because I think it's it's very, very important not just to like hear a VC's perspective, but you know, at the end of the day, VCs get money from LPs. And so it's very important to, you know, hear the people at the very, very top. Here's the people that are funding the VCs who are funding the founders, you know, that type of thing. And so um so if any so I guess if if any uh, VCs are listening to this podcast, um highly recommend capital allocators. Um it's a very great thing and then i'll be on the hunt for other ones so you know if everyone had anyone has other stuff to recommend to me you know feel free to ping me on various socials and stuff yeah uh okay well absolutely brilliant to, to start this conversation we covered all the bases of kind of this 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 emerging terrain and and again what's always fascinating is that everybody's kind of kind of communicating the same thing um from different points of view and I do think we are starting to talk about that in two, three years. You know, this whole landscape could be completely different. You know, this whole, it could, it could just operate differently. Certainly early stage where we said, you know, you want the right people behaving in the right way in the space, getting in early, backing exceptional founders, fixing these kind of, these kind of intangible problems that they, they're deeply immersed in. I, I just think we'll, we'll live in a much better world when, when that's the case. And I just think the whole value flow changes if you start properly. Um, and I think what you're doing is, is bang smack you know in, in in the middle of that so it's great to talk to you and, and and kick off series two um with this conversation so thank you so much for your time jonathan it's real been a real pleasure and thanks for having me man i'm excited to hear it